Product managers give 100% of themselves to their customers. But who's there for the PM? The Product Management Center at the University of Washington. It's a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. I'm Jeff Schulman, founding director of the Product Management Center and your host on this show, How to Succeed in Product Management. Each week, I'm joined by my co-host, Red, and some of the best product managers in the business. Together, we're having candid conversations that help you understand the challenges that a product manager faces, how they overcome them, and the tools and frameworks that will help you thrive in the role. So let's start the show. My name is Jeff Schulman, and I'm a professor at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business, where I'm the founding director of the Product Management Center, a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. And every week, I'm joined by my co-host, Red. Normally, we're also joined by Sumeya Benganam, and uh, we bring together some of the best PMs in the business to talk about how to succeed in product management. And we take a different topic each week, and this week, we're going to be focused on experimentation. So how do you test ideas before you launch them, and how do you test ideas after you launch them? How do you phase out, phase a launch and kind of learn from what you've done and improve over time? And we've got PMs from B2C and B2B, and so you're going to get lots of different perspectives on experimentation. Uh, but first, I want to introduce my co-host, Red, who's here every week. Red, can you tell them a little bit about the Red Circle and what to expect today and what your role is? And also tell them a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. Thank you, Jeff. My name is Red. The Red Circle is not for me. It's for all of you. We are live recording this event tonight and uh, later going to be releasing it publicly as a podcast. So if you're interested, all you have to look up in Apple or Spotify is how to succeed in product management, and you'll find this recording tonight. So anyone who has questions or wants to come up on stage, you'll be famous and publicized globally. As far as what else to know is keeping on track for tonight, I'm an advisor for the University of Washington, specifically for the Product Management Center. And what that means is I care a lot about making sure this community succeeds and thrives. Having spent the last 10 years of my life working with product managers, I can tell you there is a huge void in terms of communities specifically designed for PMs. So tonight, if you are a product manager and you want to join the larger community, there are over 400 product managers on the University of Washington's product management Slack. So if you want to DM me for an invite to that, Jeff, I think you're going to hook me up with some updated URL, but you can go right to my Twitter or my website, DM me directly. And I'll get you all an invite so you can ask a question or you can come up on stage and do that live. Either way, uh, welcome to the community for those who are new tonight and excited to hear everyone, including all the amazing moderators up on stage right now. Back to you, Jeff. All right. Thank you, Red. Appreciate your enthusiasm as always. And Red is on the founding advisory board of the Product Management Center at the University of Washington. He helped us build this from the ground up, just started this year. And we're really excited to see the enthusiasm product managers have for giving back, uh, one of which is uh, Nivi. Nivi, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to becoming a PM? Sure. Uh, thanks a lot for having me here, Jeff. My name is Nivi and I'm a senior product manager with Amazon. I build shipment creation experiences for Amazon sellers. Prior to Amazon, uh, I used to work with mid to small size companies, predominantly in the B2B space. I entered uh, product management out of the blue. It was totally unplanned. Uh, I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. Uh, I moved to the U.S. in 2016, was interviewing, and 
got picked up for a product analyst role in a small company. So in small companies, one day you're a product analyst and quickly you're doing everything and you turn into a product manager. And uh, I've been uh, enjoying my role as a product manager ever since. Thank you. It's great to have you here. And then I want to hear from Priya. And then Priya, this is normally Sumeya's role, um, and I'm hoping I could put you on the spot. Uh, after you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey into product, could you talk a little bit about the importance of today's topic, which is experimentation? Why is it important for product managers to think about when and how to experiment? Absolutely. Hi, everybody. Thank you for having me, Jeff and Red. My daily goal uh, that I want to know is learn something new every day. And I think this is a forum for me. I'm really going to learn something new as well as share whatever I know. I work as a product manager and a solution architecture, which is a pretty rare combination probably, but I I enjoy what I do. I am on the consumer financial services and the credit risk team within T-Mobile. We focus a lot on managing bad debt and collections and particularly reduce customer churn on the consumer finance side. So if you have a phone and you're late on your payments for any reason, my team is the first thing that kicks in and makes sure you stay with us. We don't want to lose you. T-Mobile is number one in customer care and you know we make sure you stay with us. And if you're happy, we are happy. So one of the things that happened to me again, as Nivi said, is I'm also one of the many non-conventional product uh, people and uh, my career evolved primarily focusing on product design solutions and how they all come together and how it's directly and indirectly impacting customers. I started out more as a technologist and transitioning on the functional business and several other roles that I've played along has brought me to where I am. Particularly going back to, Jeff, your question on why experimentation is important and particularly why it's important to product managers is it's purely to evaluate ideas. It gives you so much insights, knowledge gaps, it gives you Um, It basically lets you uh, have a way to speak out your mind and visualize it. Typically, any experimentation has a hypothesis, typically lands up as if-then-else statements and assumptions on what customer problems are. What you could see this as enablers are as enablers that can help product quickly move towards market fit. Thank you, Priya. And uh, next, Michael. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself and why uh, experimentation is important to product management. All right. My name is Michael Fountain. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Uh, Great to see you again, Red. Uh, Looking forward to this conversation. So my path to product management has really, over the last 20 years, has been full of twists and turns and a lot of reinventions of myself. I'm currently a lead product manager at DocuSign, and I drive several initiatives uh, around the incubation space um, and the incubations org itself. And this kind of satisfies my entrepreneurial drive. I'm focused primarily on de-risking really large bets, and we do this by working directly with some of our largest enterprise customers. Um, And this role, experimentation is largely done through research studies, and we have research embedded with design embedded on my team. And so we meet weekly, and it's a, it's a topic of where we're going a lot. Uh, previous to that, I led product teams at Eptiniv, and that's where I met uh, the great Red. And we at Eptiniv, you probably know from uh, just hearing Red talk, but managing um, you know all types of or helping all types of companies kind of collect feedback at scale and unlocking their fan signals, and and uh, we can go into more of that later. But you know, really delivering a B two B solution where our 
customers were delivering a B2C solution. And so collecting feedback on experiments was often a use case that our customers were using Eptinib for. So that's a great way to capture and collect feedback mobily. And then uh, just uh, before that, I spent about a decade in the domain name and web hosting space. Very different industry than any of these. I worked at some really large domain registrars and global web hosting company service providers uh, for quite a few years. I also co-founded and sold two software companies servicing that industry in the early to mid-2000s. And I guess a little fun fact, I worked at Amazon as a software engineer early, early in my career, kind of like right out of college. And when I left, I left close to 30,000 options on the table uh, when I created my startup in 2002. So I definitely lived the uh, uh, have fun, work hard, make history lifestyle back then. (laughs) But to your question about experimentation, my vantage point of experimentation has always just been about talking to customers. And when I'm in the enterprise space, it's been talking to a few customers about their needs and then validating their needs across, across many customers and using whatever mechanisms that we can do that in. And you know whether it was a startup doing it in a B2B space or the large enterprise doing it in a B2B space, it's all about what does a customer need? Uh, what is that hypothesis? How are you going to validate it? How are you going to get away from opinion data and get to good qualitative and quantitative data in order to make an informed decision? And experimentation can come in all shape, forms, and sizes. And uh, you, you do what you need to do at the time that you need it in order to get the decisions made so that you can make progress, and you increment on that progress over time. Yeah, so that's my take on it right there. Thank you, Michael. Great to have you here. Next up, we have Esther. First, before we get to Esther, I want to say for those listening, you know, hearing the stories of these product managers on stage is not just about getting to know who's going to share their insights on experimentation. It's about understanding that the different roles, the winding paths to product And we see uh, already three people share their story, and they're very different. So wherever you are in your journey, it might wind just like we've seen uh, the winding roads of these three product leaders. Next up, though, Esther, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and then dive into, just start sharing a little bit about how you've approached experimentation. So first of all, thank you very much for the invitation to be here today. Um, I'm really excited and very much enjoyed the Inclusive Product Summit, and I'm very happy to be part of this this whole community. I'm currently a director of product management at Lending Tree. I've been there a little over eight years, um, and I work on the the automotive finance products. So, uh, in case you're not familiar, uh, Lending Tree is a marketplace. So we match borrowers with lenders, and in the case of automotive, we we sometimes also match with with dealers. Um, basically helping people finance their vehicles or refinance their vehicles. And with that comes some unique challenges. But in terms of my path to being a product manager, um, I have actually have a pretty varied path. I've started out creating a department for cash vaults, and I started in banking operations, but I really liked what the product managers were doing. So I worked to move my way over there, but it was really more of a marketing consumer acquisition I moved into design and designed home goods for a while. And then now I'm here at Lending Tree and just combining all of my experiences and skills. I will say, though, that the common theme that I've had in every step of my career is I'm, I'm either building something from scratch or I'm rebuilding something. And so that's why I think product management is a really good, good fit for me. And then in terms of my approach to experimentation, I think of it in a couple, a couple ways, especially in the business that I'm in. There's sort of the optimization and the the improvement of our experience for consumers. And then there's this sort of entire 
relook or at a new way to solve a problem, which often involves a completely different business model than our core business. And I approach, obviously, the approach for the two needs to be a little bit different in that when you're looking at testing a whole new business model, you don't just launch it and run. There's like a number of places along the way where you have to test your assumptions, get early feedback from users before you start building. Um, and then even as you're you're moving forward, I find that it's helpful to keep validating those assumptions so that when you launch, um, you have a better chance of success and you're better able to move quickly. All right. Thank you, Esther. Now, for those just joining us, we're talking about experimentation. We've already talked a little bit about the importance of it. And now we're going to talk about a little bit more into how to do it. Nivi, do you mind sharing a few tools and techniques that you've used and kind of clarify, remind people whether that's been in the B2B space or the B2C space? Sure. Uh, so I, since I come from predominantly from the B2B space and one of the biggest challenges that uh, I face as a B2B product manager is statistical significance, right? Statistics 101 tells us that for experiments to be conclusive, you need a large enough sample size and in order to run your tests on. In a B2C company, especially an established one, you have thousands of users, but then in many B2B companies, the number of users that you have is usually much smaller in size. So that's probably one of the challenges, but that doesn't mean you should stop experimenting. What I usually do when I want to experiment is start off by looking at anecdotal feedback regarding the product. So Within the products that I build, I try to embed as many feedback links as possible, be it surveys or directly in-app thumbs up, thumbs down responses with some uh, text so the customers can tell us how they feel about the product. And once all this feedback is available, it's so important to centralize it in one place so that you can identify themes. And based on these themes, then you can start identifying patterns in in customer feedback and when you have that and when i kind of have that identify some of the major pain points that customers are having it's about going and working with my ux designer or my research team in order to come up with prototypes it could be as simple as a clickable mock-up that i have built and then go ahead and put it in front of customers uh, probably to start off in one-on-one interviews And when you have these interviews with customers, it's so important to be unbiased and not ask leading questions. As product managers, many a times I've been in situations where I've been busy and I've had 30 minutes with this customer and I wanted to get to the end of the interview as quickly as possible. So it's very easy to lead them into giving you answers that you desire. So Completely tune yourself out of the product, ask unbiased questions. It comes with practice, but as you start doing it, you get better. Also observe people who are experienced at doing that, right? That's kind of how um, I learned how to do it. And the next approach is, although when you're doing one-on-one interviews, it could be very time-consuming. But now when you have come up with a concept that's pretty clear, you can start doing some unmoderated interviews. They call this in product terms as 
painted dough test. It's a way of putting these mock-ups or experiences in front of customers at large. And I have used third-party tools like usertesting.com and seen how customers interact with these mock-ups that we put in front of them in a completely unmoderated experience. Usertesting.com allows customers to record them as they go through this experience. And the insights that you get out of this have been mind-blowing for me at times. It kind of leaves me feeling humbled multiple times and reminds me how important it is to remove cognitive load from products and create it in a way that users don't really have to think when going through the workflow they need to be able to get to the call to action as quickly as possible. So these are some ways, even before building the product, putting these mock-ups and getting early feedback has been super helpful in avoiding wasting unnecessary resources into products, which might not result in the desired outcome. Wow, thank you. A great with general insights and specifics. Priya, how does that compare to what you do or what you've used in your work? Yeah, I think there are two flavors out there as well, right? So there's uh, specifically with uh, when you look at consumers, then the amount of data like Navy was pointing out is much larger. So segmenting it and identifying, you know, the right set of data and, and having a controlled way to do your experimentation and then actually get analytics out of them and make some sense out of it is the key, right? Before you can even do what we call as a passive launch. One of the key challenges challenges that we, you know, have always come across is, you know, customers are so used to a certain type of a flow. For instance, typically I, I go back to the phone example, I send you a text message that says, hey, you're late on your payments. You're very used to seeing that message. Now, if I change the message, it might look like somebody else is sending it and you have no way of authenticating it, right? So a slight change in the text will really change the way that a customer reacts. So it's really important to understand the audience and uh, segment the data really fine enough before you can start trying out your experiments as well. Now, there are two forms of it. Now, we deal with large set of data, large scale applications too. So there's the A-B testing aspect of it, which probably will come to after. And then there's the whole experimentation from a user interaction standpoint, right? So one of the things that specifically we've tested out are landing pages. How would customer reacts when they click a page and land on the page and then see that it is a completely different experience for them. But the underlying experience and the analytics will give you enough information to take that leap you know, of faith and do some confidence assessment to either release it out or not. So I think a lot of it is dependent when you go to the customer area on how the behavioral analytics aspects of it would work. So we do interact and have a need to do some, you know, NLP type of approaches where sentiment analysis is needed. So it's just not purely going with certain actions and reactions, but then there's just more to interpret out of this that will help you eventually to, you know, assess and make the rollouts. Thank you, Priya. And to everybody in the audience, we're just minutes away from opening up the stage to get your comments and your questions. But if you're impatient or want to get uh, your thoughts out there right away, DM Red to get on to the Slack channel. The Product Management Center at the University of Washington has a Slack channel open for everybody to share knowledge, learn knowledge, and just connect with one another. And we'd love to hear how you do experimentation and react to what you're hearing. And then we'll, again, open up the stage in a little bit and hopefully hear from you right here as well. 
Esther, you're in B2C. Do you mind talking a little bit about the tools you use and how your approach to experimentation relates to Nivi and Priya? Sure. So I definitely can speak for user testing. We use that quite frequently. It's fast. And, you know, the recordings, you can go in and, and make a highlight reel. So if you need to share it with other people, particularly decision makers, people who aren't convinced that certain feature needs to change or something needs to be updated, hearing from real people can help sway those people And I think what's also really interesting is that even if you can't get your exact target audience in user testing, you can still get useful information, have a a big product that's getting ready to launch. It can be very difficult to find the people that are in market at an exact point to to buy vehicles. And quite frankly, for for the product that I work on, a lot of the consumer behavior we're trying to drive doesn't even happen on our platform, doesn't happen on our experience. We rely on what happens at the lender, what happens with the dealer. So even with that, we were able to do some pretty important testing and find out that customers just didn't didn't understand, even though we had instructions and it had gone through design and everybody had felt pretty good about it, that customers weren't understanding what they needed to do and what was different about our our new offers. So um, I definitely find a lot of value in that. And then I think it's also really important to do sort of just broader research to understand. So in my case, it's how customers think about financing vehicles, right? We know a lot about how people think about buying cars, but not the finance piece. And that piece became actually pretty critical when we were looking at how to completely revamp or or turn our product upside down, so to speak. So I recommend using lots of different tools to get information about how your customers are, how your customers are behaving, not just on your platform, but just in general, um, in in whatever industry or ecosystem that you're operating in. Um, we also use um, feedback loop as a source of a variety of different types of testing and research where user testing doesn't doesn't make sense. All right. Speaking of when user testing or experimentation doesn't make sense. Nivia, I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but I'm wondering if you could share when experimentation is not appropriate or when you need to put sufficient guardrails on experimentation to make sure you don't have long-term consequences and that you're set up to learn. Sometimes uh, you need to actually time box experiments. Again, when you're working on a product, bias for action is super critical. A lot of the decisions we make in product are two-way doors. Once you go in, you can probably quit and come out and reverse your decision. 90% of the decisions we make as product managers are reversible. And sometimes we just don't have enough time to experiment so when you know that there is an opportunity to make changes quickly and if you launch something before you completely experiment and have all data available, if it's not going to adversely impact customers all, all, the, all the more, then it should be fine. I think you can just go ahead and implement it. Learn from whatever outcome happen, you receive after the product is launched and if, uh, if you need to tweak it, you can always iterate and some Sometimes, especially uh, I think in a B2B environment, since the number of customers we have is pretty limited, you might be testing it out with a few customers. You might get great feedback from customers, but when you put it out in the product and expose it to more customers, you might end up in a situation where you thought 
the sellers, uh, the customers you worked with actually like the product, but then when you put it out in bulk, the product doesn't work as you expected, right? So coming up with really scrappy solutions and putting it uh, out the door quickly and early actually helps. This brings to mind one of the products we launched in one of my past companies, we wanted to create a predictive real-time report. And in order to do this on a real-time dashboard, we couldn't because of heavy technical debt. We decided to finally release this as a PDF shared via a secure shareable folder to customers. And then they used the product, they gave us feedback and we iterated it. And it took us one year to actually integrate it directly into our dashboard Coming up with some of these crappy solutions, even before you have experimented it end-to-end with customers, reduces the amount of tech work you can do. And of course, if there is some issue of failure, it always gives you a chance to iterate before you integrate the feature into your main product. Does anybody have something to add to that before we give Red his time in the sun? Yeah, I'll just add a few notes there. I concur a lot with what the the previous panelists had said about it's challenging to do a lot of experimentation with high significance in a B2B environment. It's not impossible, but it is certainly challenging. And then you have to do the trade-offs of how many voices um, are you going to listen to before you make a decision? And then you're also weighing that against how reversible is that decision? And I would love to say that all of these are frameworks that are easy for us to implement every time. But in reality, every time you need to make a decision, it's slightly different than the previous decision that you made. And you just have to take into context what's available to you at the time. Do you have the time to go out and do a large research study? If not, do you have the time to go out and outsource the research to maybe user testing? If not, do you have any customers on hand? Do you have any customers in an early access program that you can talk to? Do you have any internal customers that you can talk to? The common theme is talking to customers as quickly and as often as possible to help you validate what you are thinking and help you validate those hypotheses. And you want to do as much as that as you can before you start writing code. So get that minimum viable experiment out there and do it before you write code because it's so much easier to change the design than it is to change code that's in that's in production. And so like Unfortunately, there's no one-size-fits-all solution, and you're going to get a variation of this theme, and the variation is going to change depending upon the type and size of the company and the maturity of that company. I would say that at DocuSign, where I'm at today, our research process is pretty well vetted. I'm just plugging into the process that exists. I'm working with my peers. I'm giving them what they need. We're evaluating the research that comes back, and then we're making some decisions off of that, as well as talking to customers in the process. But at small startups, you're calling the customers on hand. You're talking with customer success to, to hang off the back of a, a business review so that you can show them some screens. I mean, you're doing whatever you can do to get feedback. And so I think that's the key to this is as much feedback as often, weigh that against the priority, weigh that against the timeline that you're, you're working towards, and do the best that you can. And know that you know uh, some progress is better than perfection. So just keep making progress, keep iterating. All right. Thank you, Michael. I am going to turn it over to Red. Red is our stage manager every week, Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Pacific time. Red and I bring together some of the best product managers in the business in how to succeed in product management. And part of that is really focusing that discussion. Today, we're focused on experimentation. But part of that is welcoming you to come up on stage, uh, share your insights, or preferably ask a question of one of our product leaders here. So Red, manage the stage. Do what you do best. 
That's very nice, Jeff. And appreciative that everyone who could stay stayed longer. For everyone who's in the room right now, we just opened up the stage for hand raising. What does that mean? You have an opportunity to ask a question. Now, as a reminder, today is being recorded, but I see a lot of incredible people out there who have obvious questions I know they can ask product manager from SiriusXM, from Amazon and beyond. Uh, so the way you do it is you go to the bottom of your screen, there's a little hand, you click on that, and it'll give you an opportunity to raise your hand and we'll call you up on stage. There are just a few parameters here. Number one, if you don't have a photo or anything in your bio, I can't call you up because we have hecklers all the time. People think they're funny. Two is if there is anything in your profile about business or product, come up up. But if it's all spiritual growth and life coaching, it's less likely to have you up on stage to ask questions. So with that in mind, we're opening up the room. Anyone can come on up and ask questions while we're waiting for Q&A. I'm going to kick it back to Jeff to keep the stage going from a question perspective as we get them up. But Jeff, you know what? I was actually going to kick it to you, but it looks like we already got someone doing some epic expletive. I can't read it out loud because we are recording it. But with that in mind, Krishna, wearing a party popper, being new, and someone who does epic sugar honey iced tea, as I can say it on a recording, what is your question? <laughs> what is your question for the moderators, Krishna? The stage is yours. I am very sorry to put you on the spot like that with my bio there. Uh, I'll definitely go ahead and change it to something that is family friendly. Am I audible? <laughs> Yeah, we hear you. Family, yeah. family, I love it. Okay, so I wanted to look at product management in a more, you know, more primitive way, as in from a startup perspective, which doesn't have a lot of resources to do extended uh, user research and uh, things like that, iterations and things like that, because there are cost constraints, there are other resource constraints. So if anyone in the panel could, you know, give tips and tricks about how to go about with product management, because it keeps me up at night because I'm not having enough feedback and I'm not able to get to enough feedback because there are other fires you're putting out constantly as, as the founder and CEO. So is there anything that you guys can suggest from a very basic primitive startup perspective that uh, we can include product management in our everyday, even though there's no lesser of manpower and resource? So would you add a little um, color as far as like how far along your product is? Is it an app Is it or is it solely web-based? Because that could perhaps change Great. some of the... Absolutely. So we're actually a startup based in India. Uh, so what we're trying to do is we're working with uh, retailers in a SaaS-based model. Basically, it's a freemium model wherein uh, we encourage retailers to put up their... It's almost like a hyper-local marketplace wherein retailers of mostly apparel, accessories and footwear, which is mostly an unorganized sector in India, you know, kind of digitize and organize their inventories on the platform in a way that it's an e-commerce platform for the end user. But since the inventories are really decentralized and close to where they live, we're able to cut down on costs of shipping and delivery times to under a day, which a lot of major corporations have been trying to do. But at the same time, we've also been able to get a lot of retailers who've been really struggling uh, due to uh, COVID and post-COVID uh, uh, stress in countries like India. Just started in India. We're just operational in one city right now. Currently, just a website and an inventory management system on the uh, retailer side. Uh, we have about 2,000 products on the platform, but we are looking to grow because lockdown restrictions are slowly easing off. So we are looking to grow quickly and rapidly, but we don't want to do that recklessly. So that's where we are. Is there anything else that would probably add more clarity to it? Michael, your stage is yours. Clearly, for product managers, the UI makes no sense. 
So if you uh, had to take one thing for tonight, make a better microphone button. <clears throat> Back to you, Michael. <laughs> yes, yes. We'll leave that one for another day. A couple of questions that I would ask, and, and uh, not necessarily in real time, but do you, like these are the questions I would be asking myself in, in, in this situation. So I come from a startup background. I've bootstrapped a couple of startups. I've done consulting in startup space. And a lot of times that product market fit is the place where where startup people will struggle. And the product market fit is really around, I've got a great idea for me, but I don't know if that idea is just for me or if that idea is something that can be replicated. And I don't know if the scale of that replication is tens, tens of thousands, or millions. And the way that I approach things like this is really just to find the one because you only need one to start a feedback conversation. And then from there, take that learning to find more like that, either in a, I found what I'm looking for, I need to find more people like this, or I didn't find what I'm looking for and I need to take this information and I'll pivot in another direction to find other people. And you can't service the world, but you can service a niche. So find that niche of folks that need your service whether they're existing customers or, or, or prospects, and actually go talk to them. And that might mean look them up on LinkedIn. That might mean research them uh, in the white pages or yellow pages or whatever you have. That might be go to their establishment, obviously, when COVID restrictions lift up and go knock on their door. But at some point, you want to talk to them. And you want to do it in a way that you're going to have a casual conversation where you're trying to get information back and forth. You're sharing your thoughts. You're and the more you share your your ideas, the more feedback that you're going to get. And yes, as a CEO, founder, and you're doing all the things because there's no one else working for you or you have a very small group of folks working for you, you're going to wear all the hats. And that's just part of the job as a, as a co-founder, founder, entrepreneur is wearing all of those hats. Research is a very, very big hat. Uh, I remember in my early days when I was founding Modern Bill, which was my software company, we didn't have the communications tools that we have today, but we did have uh, bulletin boards. And I would spend three hours every morning responding to people through forums and bulletin boards because that was the best way for me to get feedback on our product. And I would take that feedback over the course of a few weeks and come up with a release based off of the feedback from the customers that I talked to on a day-to-day -day basis. And I dedicated that time of just talking to customers every day before I wrote any code, before I did anything else. Because that was the most important thing for me to do. And so find whatever avenue that is for you and whatever works in today's environment in India and whatever that environment looks like for you and, and get a hold of a customer. And if you can't do that, you've got surveys. Find a way to ask someone to fill out a survey. Don't just put a blanket survey out there. There are a lot of different mechanisms like that. Thank you for coming up and jumping on in. It's meaningful. And also, it's a question that's incredibly relevant to kick off the evening. So again, there's a silent audience clapping here because of how the platform works. But uh, thank you so much for the questions. Moving on to Kunal, quite the bio here, an INFFP on stage in front of people. I don't want to put an introvert on the stage with a microphone, but you have a question. We're here and listening. So Kunal, the, the stage is yours. What's the question? Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. As a product leader, I wanted some insights from you. As a product leader, how do you evaluate product managers in terms of skills and their ability to, to, to go above and beyond? Do you use any framework or are there certain aspects that you would put more um, emphasis on as others? We haven't heard from Priya in a while. Priya, 
Do you have anything to share in terms of the skills that you've tried to demonstrate in your path to being a, a PM or any frameworks that you've used in thinking through whether other people deserve to be product managers as well? Certainly. I think there are certain key skills that you will definitely look out for in a PM, right? So first thing first, I think you have to have the vision, right? You have to have a really good understanding of where you're going, where your company is going, where your product is going, where your multiple products are going, how are you cross-leveraging everything else that is going on in your company or, you know, in the industry. So I would look for leaders and measure them in terms of their skills and in thinking beyond just the job description that you typically have of a project manager or a product manager, right? And like I said at the beginning of the conversation, I come from a a combination of being a, a technologist, a solution architecture, and then going into being a product manager. So I see that Certain skills, although you you know you probably are not coming with it, with it directly, will definitely impact you in your long run when you're looking at where you stand in comparison with a lot more others, right? As product managers, the ability to think the big picture, the ability to go above and beyond uh, just your immediate needs is definitely a strong suit and a strong skill. Esther, did you have something to add to that as well? Sure, I just. Just to, to build on that, like there's so many skills that you need in, in product management. Vision is, is clearly important. And there's definitely a balance between being able to understand the, your customer and their, their journey and, and have empathy for them at the same time being very analytical. And then you have to be really good at managing your stakeholders. You have to find ways to say no, or at least, you know, maybe later um, and 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 present your argument. You need to be able to, you know, tell engineering why this feature that might require some rework or it's or a less than elegant coding solution. You know why it's important. Those are also key skills for any product manager. Thank you. And speaking of skills for a product manager, I, I am so excited. Red, we have a regular listener who we haven't seen in a while, as he's been focusing on building a product himself. Red, do you mind introducing our next person asking a question? Somebody yeah. who I hold near and dear to my heart because he he helped us start this show by coming up on stage early on in the early weeks and asking good question after good question. Absolutely. And thank you again, Kunal, for, again, I always want to point out when someone introduces themselves in their bio as someone who's introverted, being brave and getting on stage and asking such a great question, we wish you the best of luck. And again, DM and follow all the speakers. They're here to help. Now, with that in mind, Gordon, source of inspiration, just graduated the world-class, am I reading this right, product dojo? Am I saying that right, Gordon? Am I introducing this correctly? I don't want to give a shameless plug. I think PM Dojo would prefer to call it PM Dojo as one word. (laughs) So PM Dojo, why don't you introduce yourself to everyone out there and for why we're here with the Product Management Center. We'd love to give the stage to you. And of course, you do have a question you want to ask as you pointed out in our Slack channel. So please, if you're comfortable, the mic is yours. First of all, Jeff, this isn't the first time you've made me blush, but I'm still coming back. And I didn't know that's when you had launched this. I thought I was butting in and asking too many questions. So I'm super flattered and elated to hear that that participation was welcome. Yeah, I just launched this product. It's in my bio, so I won't talk about it much, but I will say that it was you know, shows like this, rooms like this that really inspired me to pursue product more. And now that the storm has passed and the dust has settled, 
I'm back. I've got more time now that this product is launched. My question around experimentation is, we have just launched this product. I'll just admit, like, I don't have a full go-to-market strategy right now. And we've got maybe 30 users. You know, I remember back in the day when Facebook just had, you know, power users and there was no monetization of the app that I could tell. I'm just not sure what to test right now, what to experiment with. Not like 30 visits to the site, but like 30 signed up users. I guess my question is, like, what would you be asking yourself right now with these 30 users who've already sort of followed the happy path? I'm just not entirely sure what to do next. And I I know you have limited context, but thanks. Michael, I see you came off mute. The, The microphone is yours. The first thing I would ask them, how did you find me? quite honestly, you want to know how they found you. And then you want to know what they like about you. And then you want to know what they don't like about you. Those three questions are your golden questions for your first set of users. And then you're going to use that information, compound it, and then go find more people like that or not like that if you're finding the wrong people for your product. Yeah, I have a lot to say on this too, Gordon, but I want to give Esther or Priya a chance because I think even though it's just 30 users, I think the same question happens in a larger organization as there's a lot of uncertainties when it comes to the creation of the product and and launch of the product. Uh, Priya or Esther, do you have anything to add before I chime in? Yeah, I think um, if if you find that consistently for a period of time you only have 30 users, why not introduce something new and see how they react, right? So that might give you a little bit more insight into do they react to what you're doing or, you know, changes and do they like it and are you are they adopting to more of your features and, you know, you could just expand that way. And then obviously, you know, you could always run some promotional aspect of it where they're referring other folks to come on board. So you could find ways to use them as your avenue to expand your user base as well. Esther, anything from your experience with LendingTree in terms of what questions need to be asked once you have a small set of users and you're trying to build the products to expand your relationship with them or to get new users? Not at this time, no. Fair enough. So I think systematically, you can kind of think it through the funnel, as Michael was saying. One hypothesis is who has this need? So you have 30 users, so 30 people have the need that you're satisfying. And then the question is, so who has the need? Then the question is, for whom does your solution satisfy that need? So you have an underlying need that your product is trying to solve, or a problem that it's trying to solve. So the question is, does your product solve it? Uh, Then you have questions around price. So how much would somebody pay to satisfy this need or to have this uh, problem solved? And then you have questions of usage. Uh, So how could you get them uh, to use it more? So how... How could you get them hooked on this? And which is, by the way, a book, a great book is Hooked that I'd recommend as you're starting to think about how do you get them to come back and to, to tell their friends all about it. So I'd structure it along the funnel and I'd structure it along lifetime value, uh, thinking about acquisition, uh, retention, and margin, and thinking about uh, how might you improve each of those dimensions. But uh, welcome back, Gordon. It's great to have you. Excellent question. Thank Red, you. before we get to concluding thoughts, it's your stage to manage. Yes, thank you. And, you know, we have one more question. We're on track to have a good amount of time for concluding thoughts. But uh, I'm going to bring the mic to you, Tiger, somebody who's a man after my own heart, B2B SaaS with experience over in the Northwest of Microsoft. What is up? (laughs) Yeah, hello, everyone. Thank you for letting me on the stage. First, I'd like to say this is one of the greatest room uh, I've been. Um, Great uh, questions and uh, great answers. Um, My question to all the product managers on the Stage is to what granularity do you do 
product management? Which point do you stand in between macro management and micromanagement? And I like to provide a little bit of context. Is I had a big experience with a product manager I had in the past. I don't want to be mean, but the team feel like we're getting another CEO talking about you know super high level ideas. So that's the question. Like, what do you? What balance do you take between a macro management and micro management? Thank you. That's a good question. I think for this one, Esther, haven't heard from you as far as the previous one. Would love for you to have the opportunity to weigh in here. Yeah. So I think one of the challenges of being a, a product manager is that, you know, sometimes you're called upon to to talk with the execs and you need to have a conversation at 30,000 feet. And then you also need to be able to dig in to the weeds with the developers to help um, to help answer questions. Um, to help them solve problems, to give them context for for some of the decisions that they're making. So w- when I think about micromanaging in 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 product management, like it, as the product manager, you have to know a lot about like design and engineering. You have to to, to know how things work. We're really working with specialists in those fields. So I feel like the product manager is responsible for the vision and the outcome, but we have to allow room for those specialists, whether it's the designer or the technologist, to figure out their piece of it, right? So hold the vision and be clear on the criteria for what's a successful outcome, and then let your creative people work within that framework to create that outcome. They could come up with something better than I could have like designed myself and certainly I shouldn't be architecting technical solutions as the product manager. So hopefully that's without a a lot of context. Hopefully that's helpful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Rock on Tiger with a good final question. Anyone else want to weigh in before we move to concluding thoughts? Okay. Michael off the mute. What is up? I would just say that the level of zoom is a great a way to think about your role as a product manager. And you need to be at various levels of Zoom. You need to have the emotional, uh, I guess, the EQ to really understand, are you having the right conversation with the right party at the right level that they need it? You don't want to go into coding with your CEO and you don't want to bring all the world problems down to your engineering. So that level of Zoom matters. And just having the awareness of who you're talking to and what they need to know to be successful is really where that's going to come into play. Micromanagement versus macromanagement, aside from the level of Zoom, really just means like, are you on top of your thing? And are you helping other people be on top of their thing? Are you helping them be successful? You may have to step in from time to time to micromanage a situation to make it more, to create a better process. But if you're doing that over and over and over and over again, then you have to look internal to yourself to see if actually that's where the problem lies um, versus someone that just doesn't care and just pushes stuff out there and then lets, lets things fall to the wind. That's the exact opposite. So the balance is somewhere in the middle and a product manager just needs to know where to assert themselves in the situation, get the job done to step back and let the process work. And if the process is working well, then you can repeat it. If it's not working well, you step in to correct it. And that's kind of where I would uh, put a stop on that. And I've got an airplane flying over, so I'm going to put myself on mute. (laughs) Michael, that was awesome. And for anyone who wants more of those thoughts, highly recommend, shameless plug, Coffee with Product, another podcast. I can't recommend enough podcasts for product managers. We're not the only player in town. 
But knowing we have another podcaster on stage, Michael, someone I've worked with who also has a pet balloon gold macaw, uh, another story for another time. (laughs) Thank goodness they're napping right now. (laughs) (laughs) So with that in mind, I highly recommend you follow all the moderators. But with that in mind, great questions. The stage is closed and handing back to Jeff for concluding thoughts. All right, Red, thanks for managing that stage wonderfully as always. Uh, If you didn't get your question answered today, uh, remember that you can hop on the Product Management Center Slack channel, uh, click on Red's profile and DM him on Twitter, and he'll share you the link. And I, it seems that uh, Priya, Esther, and Michael really enjoyed uh, answering questions, and you could hop on, and if you have another question for them, you could message them on the Product Management Center Slack channel, or you could post it for uh, our hundreds of product managers on the group to chime in and share. We have an Ask Me Anything with uh, the Senior VP of uh, Artificial Intelligence and Product Management at Axon. That is on Wednesday, that's tomorrow, at 2.30 p.m. Pacific time on the Slack channel. So if you're interested in artificial intelligence and product ethics and how to manage uh, with products in terms of uh, machine learning and uh, artificial intelligence, hop on and ask the senior VP at Axon, uh, 2.30 p.m. Pacific time tomorrow on the Slack channel. Uh, Again, DM Red if you want to get into that Product Management Center Slack channel. Uh, It's time for concluding thoughts, and I want to let whoever has to go soonest, if anybody has a hard stop at five, hop off mute and give some concluding thoughts on experimentation and how to succeed in product management. And since nobody raced to get off there, then we'll go to Priya, who is the first to chime in. So, Priya? Certainly. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I think the top three things that I would take away specifically with experimentation to enable data-driven decisions and rollout is choose causation over correlation. And um, there's there's just a lot to read about it. I really enjoyed reading that. I think you should too. And prioritizing and learning from data is really going to be the key. And then the third thing is if you're able to decentralize and modularize your execution, that's going to be the key as well to roll out really easily. So it's all about data. The more you beat to it, uh, it's going to own up and give you the uh, insights. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Priya. Priya's at T-Mobile. And now, Michael from DocuSign, tell us uh, your concluding thoughts. And if that was wonderful that Priya bullet-pointed it for us. So if you, after you give concluding thoughts, want to bullet-point a few takeaways, that would be awesome as well. That's putting me on the spot. <laughs> yeah, that was a little rough, wasn't it? Just like, by the way, can you write a, a PhD I lo- thesis on this? No, I love the bullet points. That was great. It actually gave me some uh, some pause there. And I was like, oh, those are some great points, too. And, um, and Michael, I want to say, before you conclude, I want to give credit to Sina, the baby photo in the group below us, for recommending you to be on this show tonight. <laughs> Thank you so much, please, uh, with your additional thoughts. Thank you, sir. Uh, And love you, Sina. I miss you, sir. Uh, Let's see. So I would say one of the thoughts is, and I'll just leave it at this, the single bullet is you have quantitative data and you have qualitative data. You need both. Okay. You're going to get a lot of data back that'll be feeling anonymous if it's quantitative, but go talk to customers and get the qualitative data behind the quantitative data so that it can paint a more clear picture for you. Any experimentation without both, you're just missing part of the equation. So that's my single bullet. All right, you could give a sing- you could create bullet points on the fly while being distracted with cute babies. Unbelievable. Thank you Michael for being here today. Esther, product leader at LendingTree, any concluding thoughts? 
Yeah, so so I totally agree with um, the other the other speakers today, and especially I, I agree that you know the, the qualitative data sort of tells you the the story. The numbers on their own just don't have enough meaning. They're, but they're telling you sort of what behavior you're driving. I want to be very clear that I think it's really important to carefully define when you're setting up experiments, when you're setting up tests, what behavior you're specifically trying to drive um, and what your success metric is. Um, I I recommend the book Lean Analytics. It has a lot of um, case studies and it covers uh, businesses at different stages of development. And it talks also about like avoiding vanity metrics so that you can really put meaningful impact um, to your business. All right. Thank you, Esther. Thank you again, Michael and Priya. And now, Red, you're here every week, Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Pacific time with me on how to succeed in product management. But you still deserve a chance at concluding thoughts. So any concluding thoughts from you, Red? Yeah, well, I'm I'm not going to shamelessly plug that I have great advice for product managers. You can meet with me separately about that. But I want to make sure to encourage the community growth. So obviously, joining the Slack channel is one way. If you didn't have a chance to ask a question or you didn't join the whole show, remember, this is a podcast recording. So you can go online, Spotify or Apple, and look up how to succeed in product management. We're not asking for five stars because we're already getting them. Wink, wink. So with that in mind, (laughs) uh, we appreciate everyone who made tonight uh, possible. And uh, just remember, we're here every Tuesday, 4 o'clock, for you, the community. And we're never going to stop until... We're told to, and that is not happening yet. That is product feedback 101. So Jeff, back to you and for your concluding thoughts, and thank you to everybody. All right. So thanks again to Red. And Red is the driving force. So the Product Management Center is all about community. It's about knowledge, and it's about impact. And the impact we want to have is to develop a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community. And so that happens when we have people from a variety of industries being able to share their insights here today, opening up access to this knowledge, not just among those who could pay for it, but those who are eager and hungry to learn, like Gordon, another shout out, and uh, all of you who are here at investing in yourself and investing in, in learning. So this is all possible because PMs like uh, Priya, Michael, and Esther gave their valuable time to passing on what they've learned through the School of Hard Knocks. And so I hope you'll join us in giving back sharing your knowledge either by joining us Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Pacific time. So DM me or Red if you want to be a guest here. By participating in the Slack channel, we're having uh, Ask Me Anythings where you get to be the spotlight and the students at the University of Washington, our alumni at the University of Washington, and actually everybody, uh, the whole community is welcome to join the Slack channel, the Product Management Center Slack channel, and ask our resident experts questions. So if you want to be in the a- an AMA, uh, reach out. Uh, but there's a lot of ways that you can have an impact uh, through the Product Management Center. And again, I hope you'll join me because we all have a lot of work to do to help make the product management community more diverse, more inclusive, and more skilled. But until then, until I get to connect with you individually and work together with you, I hope that I'll see you next week. And I hope you'll join the Product Management Center Slack channel. And I hope you'll just keep staying curious and finding out the best ways to deliver value to our customers Oh, and last I should say, follow our moderators. Sorry, I can't forget that. Follow Priya, follow Michael, follow Esther. Uh, They had a lot of great insights to share, so you don't want to miss it next time. Uh, They're sharing their insights here. Um, Now it's really time. I'll see you next week. Bye, all. Thank you so much.